Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Listen, and I think that's the biggest key is you're not learning anything if your mouth is moving. So if you're able to stop and just take a breath and listen and be sincere and try to help these people out, that immediately is something that is not expected. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Rick Allen, how you doing, Rick? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well, and welcome to the show, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. A little bit about Rick. He is the co-founder and fund manager of Cloud Capital Management and co-founder of PaperStack. Did I pronounce that correctly, PaperStack? Yep, you got it. 
He's participated in 400 plus single family home purchases with a price of 25 million and a market value of 45 million. Important distinction there. And <laughs> has over 10 years of experience in real estate investing. He's conducted transactions with large A-list institutions. And you can learn more about him and his company at cloudcapitalmanagement.com, which is also in the show notes page. So with that being said, Rick, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely. Originally, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. I've lived in Orlando, Florida for, I guess, roughly 30 years now. And I've always wanted to kind of help people out. And so I went to school and, and was going to major in pre-med and quickly learned that chemistry and I didn't get along. So sort of adjusted my course there and ended up getting my real estate license after I graduated and jumped into real estate. I started with a nationwide wholesale firm, I guess it was back in 2005, and kind of learned the ropes on wholesaling houses. There was also an in-house hard money source. So we helped source not only deals, but was sourcing money for some of the investors there until 2008 when I started my own wholesale firm with a couple business partners and went on to run that. We had multiple offices across the state and several employees and wound up doing around 400 deals from middle 2008 until the end of 2011. At which time I sold off with another partner and we started just taking a run at just doing the fix and flips and building up our rental portfolio until I guess in early, I guess March or April of 2012, I had an REO agent call me and ask me an interesting question. They wanted to know if I would buy a mortgage note. And I'd always heard about notes a little bit, but never got into it. So I said, yeah, sure. Tell me about the deal. And it was happy to be a frame duplex here in Winter Garden. The balance on the loan was 90000 And I wound up buying it for 8400 bucks, and got in and out of the deal in just under 21 days. And needless to say, I was hooked. And so from there, my partner and I, we kind of did a full pivot into the mortgage note space. We realized it was getting a little tougher to buy houses, to buy real estate, especially at the auctions. You know, a lot of the funds were coming in there. So we directed all of our capital towards buying notes. And after we did, I guess, a handful of notes, maybe six to eight of them, went and showed what we were doing to somebody and he offered to give us a million bucks. So from there, we started buying notes completely full time and have gone up to we're managing about $6 million right now. And we're in the process of doing our first offering, going to the SEC, doing a Reg A plus tier two, which will allow us to raise up to 50 million every 12 months. So that's kind of a fast forward to where we are. We also have Paper Stack, which is, it's a mortgage note trading platform, I guess at its core. It's a marketplace for people to buy and sell mortgage notes on a one-off basis. In a nutshell, that's where we are right now. Well, that gives us lots to talk about. Let's see, the first very tactical question I have for you. You said when you were doing the note buying, you showed it to someone and then he gave you a million bucks to then go deploy that to go do the same thing with his money. How did you meet this person? It was somebody I knew that was a family friend. I went to school with his son and went to college with him at Florida and I had a real good relationship with him. And he knew what I was doing and he kept asking me, he's like, you know, you really got to go show my dad. You got to talk to my dad about this. He likes to invest, loves the real estate space. 
And from what I understand, you're doing pretty good. So I'd always been, from my wholesaling days, been pretty meticulous about keeping spreadsheets and charting all the deals and the profits and losses and costs and stuff like that. So I already had all this stuff in a master pipeline, so to speak. So I went and showed them what we'd been doing. And we were there for about an hour showing them the ropes. He asked a lot of pointed questions. What did, what did he, he ask? I'll give you a million bucks. Do you want it all today? And I was like, no. Let's, <laughs> what, uh, what type of questions did he ask? He was asking deal structure. If he gave us money, how we would structure the deals, what we would do, which we wound up setting up and doing a partnership and going through it. actually did an LLC and had a pretty extensive operating agreement. And then he asked other questions about my opinion on the market, on how I thought the deal flow was going to come. Were we going to continue to get this pricing? How long was this inventory going to be available? Pointed questions like that. What were your responses to your opinion on the market? Were you going to be able to keep getting that pricing? Well, fortunately, I had just came back from a mentorship thing. Which one? Eddie Speed and Note School. Okay. Yeah. Interviewed him on the show. I would tell all of the best listeners ever that you got to get some sort of education. You're going to pay for it one way or the other, either out of your experience or you're going to pay for it by standing on the shoulders of others. So fortunately, I had gone and sat with Eddie for quite some time and learned really the makeup of the market and what was really going on and where was all this inventory. And there had been so many buzzwords around like shadow inventory. And to kind of finally learn about it and see how much of this non-performing mortgage debt was really untouched, I was able to answer the questions that he had and let him know that I felt like, and this was back in 2012, that we had another, this is actually 13, that we had another seven to 10 years of this inventory. If nothing really changed as far as the economy, if the economy didn't take another tank, which you never know. I mean, it could be, but if it does, I think that there's been this desensitization by people towards the foreclosure process. And just people are looking around, I feel, and say, oh, some stuff went bad, but people came out of it. So if the market does tank, I think that you could possibly see another big wave of foreclosures coming or a big wave of default debt for sure. Let's talk about each stage of life you had as a real estate professional. At first, you worked at a wholesaling and hard money lending company. Then you started your own from 2008 to 2011. You said you did about 400 deals. Why did you switch from that to going into fix and flips and building your own portfolio? It was really a quality of life thing. It's a blessing in the disguise when you start getting bigger and you start creating a company and you start having an extensive amount of employees because then you have employees. And with that comes problems. And there was some dissension within, we had three business partners. It just felt like it was the right move. I'm a big fan of, if you're thinking about something, let's kind of put it out into the universe and see what happens and see where we wind up going with it. And if you push on a door, it opens, it might be a good time to walk through the door and see what's on the other side. And then just really wanting to build our rental portfolio, but also take some time and kind of figure out what my next step was going to be. Because I was getting to the point where I didn't particularly see that the wholesale game, I thought there was maybe a little bit of a, an end to it coming. When we're at the auction and you see a lot of these larger funds like Blackstone or, or what have you that were paying at the time over retail for stuff. It was, wow, writing's on the wall. You know, if these guys are able to come in here, their bankroll is a lot bigger than mine. The margins just started getting a lot smaller. So to me, it felt like it was the right time to make a move to start changing and pivoting and starting looking for that next opportunity. From the fix and flips rental portfolio to then the mortgage notes, 
I imagine, especially in 2012, fix and flips were doing pretty good. And if you're acquiring stuff in 2012, because it's different in every market, but relatively it's still depressed a little bit in 2012. So why then switch gears again and then do the distressed notes? The real reason was is because the speed in which we were getting stuff and, and able to turn it. When you get into the fix and flip stuff, you start cracking open walls and start getting contractors in there, code enforcement. There's just no telling how long you're going to be sitting in a house. And the market was good, but it hadn't really exploded like it did in 13 and 14. And we were buying the assets that we were getting in 2012 that were, were notes. You know, We were buying stuff for $8,000, $12,000, and we could just simply do more deals with the capital that we had at that time. And we were getting in and out of them so quick. The first deal we bought, we bought for 8,400 bucks. There was like 3,000 in liens, but we wound up getting a deed in lieu of foreclosure from the borrower. We paid her like 100 bucks or something. But we put it on the market for 19 and it ran to 38, getting bid up. We were literally sitting at the closing table waiting for our collateral package to come in from the person we bought the loan from so we could close. It happened so fast. And Every deal after that seemed to just keep dropping like that. So there was no need to fix anything up. We were selling stuff as is, and we were making better margins than we were by doing fix and flips. So it made more sense for us just to make that pivot. Now, fast forwarding to today, you're working on, I think I wrote this down correctly, a Reg A plus tier two offering. What does that allow you to do? It basically allows us to start pitching people and advertising and marketing to raise capital. Anytime you're going to start raising capital, there's a lot of rules you want to do or you want to follow. And this will allow us to raise capital from not only accredited investors, but also non-accredited investors. And it'll allow us to raise $50 million every 12 months, which is a lot of money to start playing with. So we were considering Reg D, Reg C offerings, and this one is very, very new. It was last year that you could start doing these. So we kind of hit the ground running and said, this is the one we want to do. It's more expensive, but it's worth the capital outlay just to be able to bring this investment to not only the accredited, but the non-accredited, which is a big thing. I think a lot of times the non-accredited investor gets passed over and they don't get to take advantage of like ground floor hockey stick type growth curve on companies, they have to wait till something comes out to the public. So this was a real opportunity to let us forward our mission of saving as many houses as possible, 10,000 houses from foreclosure and keeping families there, but also to bring a really nice investment to somebody who maybe only has three or $400 to invest. You said it's more expensive, but it's worth it. How much are you investing in getting this offering? Before we hit the advertising, which as you know, the advertising, who knows? <laughs> Bottom, bottomless pit. Yeah, exactly. It is a bottomless pit. But we're probably going to wind up being in somewhere around 85000 mm-hmm. That's not as much as I thought it would be. I thought it'd be in the half a million mark, but I guess including advertising and stuff, maybe you will never know how high we're going to get there in the advertising thing. We were fortunate that we went and then one other fund who we were kind of, we're like, look, we want to model our fund off after that fund. And it's somebody else who's in the mortgage note space. And 
He was fortunate enough. We talked to him and we have a working relationship with him. And we asked him who he used for his fund to put it together. And we went directly to that attorney. And fortunately, that attorney was like, well, the road has already been paved. It's going to cost you a lot less than it costs the gentleman who came before you. So we were very fortunate in that to have found an attorney who had done this exact fund and already kind of ironed out all the kinks for the SEC. So we're hoping that remains true when we submit. Oh, that's outstanding. And for every best ever listener, and myself included, there is a tip there. That's for sure. And if we do anything with attorneys, then see who's currently doing it as an investor and ask them which attorney they used. And it very well could save you thousands, if not tens of thousands, or in this case, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. He said it may cut us into close to in half of what it costs. So, I mean, it very well could have been a $150,000 transaction to get this oh, yeah. thing up and running just on the paperwork and the audits and, and everything that goes into it. So yeah, that's a great tip for the best ever listeners to kind of take in and really marinate on that. Absolutely. So you're managing $6 million right now, correct? Yeah, roughly right around there. About, about $6 million. And is that $6 million in investment dollars or is that six million in the value of the notes no that's six million in actual capital okay six million in capital approximately how many investors do you have we have a handful say five okay so on average they're north of the one million dollar yeah okay of those five investors and Obviously, I'm not looking for names or anything that would identify those individuals, but I'm going to ask this question for the purposes of the best ever listeners who are looking to raise capital and how to find investors for their deals. How did you get to know these five individuals? They're all within our sphere of influence. We literally just stayed within our sphere of influence of people that we know. There's a lot of people in my sphere of influence that I haven't gone and talked to just because we didn't want the capital or didn't need the capital at the time. So I would say just start within your sphere of influence, start talking about your product. One of the things that's been very helpful is that we had already had from the first time we talked to an investor and certainly up into now till the track record plus is we had a um, a working product, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We had a proof of concept that we could show, look, this is what we've been doing for the past year and a half or in this case, in the Reg A Plus, this is what we've been doing for the past five and a half years. Here's our proof of concept. Here's our body of work, what we've done. This is what we're raising the money to do, to do more of this. So that always helps if you can kind of show, look, I already have the experience in this. It gets a little more difficult, I think, when you don't have any sort of experience and you're trying to raise capital. Like for me, I wouldn't be able to raise capital right now and go buy, say, large apartment complexes like maybe like you do because I don't have that experience yet. So I wouldn't want to try to go out and do a syndication to do that because that's not my world yet. Mm-hmm. As far as the sphere, all within your sphere of influence, specifically, how do you know? Let's we'll just pick a couple of them, maybe two or three of them. Specifically, how was the very first time you met each of those three people, three of the five? Whenever we asked him for the capital. <laughs> I know, but how'd you get to know them before that? Because you wouldn't just go to some random person in the grocery store to ask them for a million bucks. Family, friends, okay. uh, family and, and friends of the family. So they were very tight knit into our sphere of influence. And then okay. you know, the people that are just outside that are people maybe I coached with on my son's little league team. 
who would ask what I do. And maybe I knew that they were a professional baseball player and they had some extra cash laid around or hockey players or stuff like that. Okay, cool. So we should all coach our son's little league baseball team. There we go. Coach little league in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> right next to my kid plays in Windermere little league, which there seems to be a lot of professional athletes that retire down here to Florida. Uh-huh. Got it. Let's transition a little bit into a typical deal that you do. Can you describe it for us, please? Yes, absolutely. I guess I can kind of talk about where we came from when we were buying these to where we are now. When we originally got into this, we were buying assets that we knew were vacant and the borrowers were alive so that we could at least get a deed in lieu. And it was just a faster way, a better way for us to get cheaper inventory. The longer we went on, we wound up buying assets that actually had the borrowers still living in the properties or the assets. And so it kind of came to an issue because we wanted the house back, but a lot of times we ran into, they don't want to sign the house over no matter how much money we're offering them because they have what's called emotional equity in there and they want to keep their house. It's their shelter. So once we kind of pivoted, we kept buying notes, but we started targeting owner-occupied loans. So now the typical deal for us is we're looking for owner-occupied houses that are not really much more than three or four years behind on their mortgage. If they're upside down, that's fine. We love to get in there. And the first question we like to ask people when we get a deal is, hey, do you want to keep your house? And majority of the time, the answer is yes. Everybody wants to keep their house. And a lot of our borrowers have just gotten bad deals. They'd start filling out loss mitigation packages with a bank, and then the loan gets sold and they have to start all over. And it leads to a very frustrating experience when you're trying to save your house. It's like you take two steps forward and three steps backwards. Mm-hmm. So we just ask that question, do you guys want to keep your house? If they say yes, then we start them on a trial payment plan immediately to say, look, you got to give me some good faith money to show me that you can actually make these payments. Then we start just collecting the loss mitigation package, which goes over their financials, their tax returns, stuff like that. So we can establish how much can they actually afford to pay. We give them a discounted payment plan up front. We give them 70% of whatever they were paying to say, here, just start making these payments. And the residual effect of being able to save somebody's house has just been, not only are you making a really good return, you're not spending as much money on foreclosures or deed and lose, but you're also, you're able to save someone's house. And, and there's a family at the end of a lot of these loan numbers that people mm. don't realize that there's a lot of families that were affected by the meltdown. And it's not just people with nefarious intentions who are, who are not paying their mortgage. They've got hardships and that's going to happen. So we're real, real proud and real happy that we're able to kind of start giving back and saving people's houses and getting taxes paid for the communities and just making a real dent in repairing the carnage from the meltdown. What if their answer is, no, I don't want to keep my house? Then we ask them, do you want to sign over the house and we can kind of tear this chapter out of your life and we won't come after you for any past due money. We'll waive deficiency judgment and If that's the case, we're happy to give you some cash for keys money to kind of send you on your way. We'll do what we can to help you find a new place. At the end of the day, we want to have a win-win. So if we have to take the house back, we'll take it back. That's a last resort. But if they don't want the house, then they don't want the house. We do what we can to help people out. What's the most challenging part of this process for your team? Breaking down the barrier of somebody has been making their payment for four or five years, the prior investors who own these loans, some of their servicing companies just didn't treat these borrowers with any sort of respect. 
I've heard some horror stories about people being threatened to be thrown in jail or kicked out of their house, just some, some terrible stuff. So breaking down that barrier to say, look, we're really here to help. We have your best intentions. We want to do what we can to help you out and come up with a nice win-win solution. How do you build that trust with them other than saying those words? One is we do what we say, but two, it's amazing that if you call somebody and we don't do the loss mitigation anymore, we actually have a non-for-profit credit counselor who's able to reach out to him, who, who does a fantastic job. And he's able to just ask the question and listen. And I think that's the biggest key is you're not learning anything if your mouth is moving. So if you're able to stop and just take a breath and listen and be sincere and try to help these people out, that immediately is something that is not expected. So you're starting off the conversation with a curveball because they're expecting what the past four or five investors doing who, who comes in there with a sledgehammer that says either pay me or get out. And you got to pay me the full amount and you got to do it in 30 days or get out. So just by coming in there, getting them off guard a little bit and saying, tell me your story. People want to tell you their story. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever. I would say keep your head and kind of keep your pulse on the market. Don't be so down in the deal, every single deal that you're not looking to see what's going on. Just be aware of pivots in the market. You're going to have to reinvent yourself along the way. It's part of it. And it may just be a little reinvention or it may be a large reinvention. Some of the stuff that we can kind of see on the horizon is there's a big opportunity coming up in the seller finance space where you're doing owner financing. So that's still in our lane, but we may have to just do a slight pivot. And that's money that the fund, that if still falls right in line with what we're doing. So I would say just be cognizant of what's going on around you and don't be so stuck in a specific deal that you're missing something or an opportunity going by. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's roll. All right, let's roll. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing for investors by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com. Best ever book you've read? Wherever you go, there you are. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal would be we bought a deal that was a non-performing loan. We wound up getting the borrower to start paying. She had a hardship. We paid twelve five for the loan and wound up getting 18000 from the state to reinstate her loan. And then we wound up getting 24 months paid for her by the state on top of that. And then wound up selling the loan for like 35 grand. So that was a huge deal. And we got to save a house and it was just perfect. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not doing enough due diligence on value. Can you elaborate on that example? 
Sure, we did buy it alone to where we did a high level. We took the BPO that the seller provided. You should always trust, but then verify. We kind of did a lackluster job verifying and wound up buying a loan at close to par what it was worth. And it wound up costing us to lose some money whenever we got out of the deals. That's a value dictates everything. You want to have a firm understanding of what the value of every asset you buy, because the value is going to dictate where your price is going to be. What data point would you look further into if you had the chance to do that particular deal over again? I would look at value. But I mean, price. I'm trying to understand, to determine the value, what do you look at to determine that value? You have to do your own BPOs. Don't necessarily take what the seller gives you. There's one fund that we bought a lot of assets from, and their BPOs magically come in at 130% <laughs> of value every single time. So it's smack on my wrist for not doing it. I know better than that. So I would always say, get your own data, get your own um, BPOs so that you know for sure going in there. It might not just be one BPO. You may order two from two different people just so you're 100% on your, uh, if there's something in question. Best ever way you like to give back. We love to give back by saving people's houses. There's nothing more powerful for us to give somebody the ability to keep their shelter and to keep their house, especially if there's kids involved. I love saving a home when there's kids involved. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can check us out at cloudcapitalmanagement.com or paperstack.com. It's P-A-P-E-R-S-T-A-C.com. No K. Very impressive what you've done. And I'm grateful that you took us through your progression and evolution as a real estate professional from getting started and being employed by wholesaling and hard money lending company to now putting together a fund that has the potential to raise $50 million every 12 months. And the reality is right now, you've got $6 million that you've got under your belt that you're managing that money. That's incredible. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking about one of the main challenges that your team has, and that is, as you said, breaking down the barrier with the borrower, treating them with respect. And as you said, I'm sure there's exceptions to this if we want to really think about it, but I love the generalization. You're not learning anything if your mouth is moving. And I love that approach. Basically, we just got to listen. And people want to tell their story and listen to them. And then lastly, if you want to find a million-dollar investor, then go to Orlando and coach a Little League baseball team. So <laughs> thanks, for, thank, thank, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best every day, Rick. We'll talk to you soon. We'll do. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.